Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've got your copy of The Name of the Wind. Yes, you do. Fantastic. And I have your copy of uh, Seven Eves. That's where that went. Cool. Hostage exchange over Christmas. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast where we assign homework, make you do it, and hopefully you have some fun along the way. My name is Pete Romberg. I am a curriculum editor, and uh, I'm going to go with it being the week that Star Wars has just come out, and I think we've all seen it. I am definitely a Jedi. With me this week, as always, is my co-host. I am Martha Sullivan, and while I am not a Jedi, I I am a Jedi supporter, which... Uh, is actually seems to be uh, in the minority on the internet this weekend. Yeah, I wasn't quite... The internet is all like, this movie is bad, and those people are wrong. Um, It is not bad. (laughs) Correct. It is great. Go see it. With us this week is uh, our special guest, friend of the show, and my cousin, uh, Caitlin. Caitlin, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Caitlin Flynn. I am a buyer for a distribution company and uh, part-time hockey player and uh, full-time Jedi wannabe. Nice. You play hockey? That's awesome. Yes. Yes, My I husband plays hockey. Oh, fun. He's actually, he's, he's nursing some sore muscles right now after a four-on-four night at his class last night. <laughs> Also, we're um, all Oak Parkers, so we've all had a lot of experience at the Ridgeland Commons hockey rink. Oh, I was so disappointed when they knocked that down. Oh, it's gone now? The new rink rink is so beautiful. I came home from college one one year, like for Christmas break or something, uh, winter break, and the entire property had been just uh, demolished. Hmm, And I had no idea they were going to do that. And it's a very nice rink now. Uh, It's a very nice new facility, but... Uh, as far as, you know, my very own personal nostalgia mm-hmm. purposes are concerned, it's quite disappointing. Right. I will say the biggest advantage that the new rink has is that, A, it's open all year round. Um, and also, sure. it's so much bigger, which is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast where we talk about our lovely Chicago suburb that we all grew up in and the changes that have happened. Um, All right, so we are talking uh, this week about moments of character transcendence, but before we jump into that wonderful ethereal topic where we assign some phenomenal homework, uh, it's only fair that we talk about our pop culture credentials. These are the things that we have most recently consumed, whether it be reading, watching, listening to, uh, not filtered for quality or guilty pleasure factor. Looking at the show notes, it looks like we're all reading books. So I'm going to start with Martha. Uh, Yes, so I have a to-read list pile a mile high, uh, full of things that I have to read for work or the podcast or other reasons. Um, But all of that got ignored this week because Mira Grant has a new book out. Uh, Mira Grant wrote the uh, incredible zombie zombie newsflash trilogy, which, if you guys haven't read, I highly recommend. Uh, but more impor- but uh, more germane to this conversation, her new book is called Into the Drowning Deep, which is a follow-up 
to a novella she published a few years ago called Rolling in the Deep about the mermaids who live in the Mariana Trench and are uh, murderous monsters. <laughs> Do they sing Adele as well? Uh, they, well, they're, they're mimics. So if you sang Adele at one, it would probably sing it back at you. <laughs> I, I love the idea of Marina's Trench Mermaids. Yeah, it's basically like the um, what Mira Grant does really, really well is she writes horror with like a scientific backing. So the whole deal for the Into the Drowning Deep conceit is that like they're basically if you turned an anglerfish into a mermaid. So they live incredibly deep. Um, you know, they feed off of whatever uh, deep water fish kind of roll into their territory. And then at some point when our uh, oceanologists got too um, exploratory in there. We accidentally revealed our um, existence to them, and they were like, "Ooh, cool, easy food." Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's very very good. I highly the the novella is like a hundred pages. Mm -hmm. It's a dollar on uh, Kindle. I recommend that uh, to start, and then if you dig that, full length follow up. Cool. Caitlin, how about you? What is the most recent thing you have consumed? Well, I am slogging through uh, the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. <laughs> and uh, I am now on book eight called The Path of Daggers. And uh, it's going very well. I feel like I will be reading this series until the day I retire. <laughs> But uh, we'll see how accurate that is, I suppose. I've been uh, busting through these pretty quickly. I think I started reading the series in earnest about a year and a half ago now. So making good progress, but we'll is, see. Um, is The Wheel of Time... Like, Robert Jordan is still writing them and alive? Or the series is going and he's dead? Or neither of those things is true. I so believe Robert Robert's Jordan. dead. Okay. Yes, and, and I died after thirteen, twelve. But the series is continuing, right? Like someone else has. I. F someone else finished it, I believe. Hmm. Yes, Brandon Sanderson uh, took over writing the last book or two from Robert Jordan. Uh, he had a plan set in place, and I believe fourteen is the end. Yes. And all of the books are about, you know, the 600 to 900 page length. So they're pretty needy. Yeah, the final book, uh, Wikipedia is telling me that the final book is A Memory of Light, which was published in 2013. Okay. I've never read any of these books. The The length of the series and the length of each individual novel was in, like thoroughly intimidating. So I'm impressed uh, with your fortitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly sure what uh, sparked this, but I think it was just something where I, would, I read the first one and I enjoyed it, and then I put it down for a year or so and read other things, and then I picked up the second one, and I thought, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm really going to do this, and uh, I really hope that there is a uh, medal or a, a commemorative beer glass or toaster <laughs> at the end because this is quite the journey 
but um, it is pretty, it's really enjoyable. I really like it. Um, All right. Well, my pop culture credential is The Wise Man's Fear by Patrick Rothfuss. Rothfuss? Gonna go Rothfuss. Um, This is the sequel to The Name of the Wind, which was a uh, critically acclaimed fantasy novel that came out in uh, 2007. The Wise Man's Fear was published in 2011. Um, interestingly enough, I currently have Caitlin's copy of The Name of the Wind, which I've been holding on to for far too long and need to return. Um, and the copy of The Wise Man's Fear I'm reading is Martha's sister, Lizzie. Um, so hopefully I won't hold on to that for the two years that I've been holding on to The Name of the Wind. Um, <laughs> it's, it's good fantasy um, it just got optioned to become a TV show. Lin-Manuel Miranda is somehow involved in it. Um, so when Game of Thrones is over, we'll all look forward to watching The Name of the Wind. Um, follows a man named, uh, I'm going to go, Kavath, uh, who is sort of a, he's telling the story to a chronicler of his life. He's sort of a hero who people think died. Um, instead, he retired to run a bar. He's telling his life story to this chronicler who, um, sought him out to, to learn the story, the myth behind, or the man behind the myth. Um, yeah. And it hasn't already been adapted into a very successful movie franchise, unlike other fantasy series I could talk about. <laughs> right, um, you should start reading it now before it gets adapted. No, you should... Okay, so here's the obligatory, like... <laughs> annoyed fan of the series so uh pete already listed the published dates of the first and the second books this is a trilogy i think we hope uh the second book wise man's fear came out in 2011 we are still in 2017 uh the the closing hours of 2017 waiting for the third book to come out and um it's, I love visiting the Goodreads page for these books because they are filled with fans that are far more annoyed than I, than I am that Patrick Rothfuss still has not published the third book. Um, I believe the original published date was sometime in 2014. <laughs> and Pete, I'm very glad that you have my copy of The Name of the Wind at your house still because I was tempted to reread it a few times over the past couple years and each time I was like no I need to wait I need to not do this because every time I reach the end of Wise Man's Fear I look for the third book and it's not there <laughs> yeah he it definitely seems like he's George R. R. Martining all over this place uh, oh absolutely. I was gonna say as an ex as an ex Game of Thrones reader I have no idea what that's like oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep all right well those were our pop culture credentials i'm glad that we're all reading fantasy uh during this i'm not christmas yeah. mermaids come <laughs> I'm on reading. i'm reading horror horror fantasy no mermaids are fantasy horror. <laughs> all right we're all reading things that can't genre exist fiction genre fiction that can't exist in the real world great um, there's no magic in this book it's all supported by science pete Yes. <laughs> Fine. These Sci-fi are cryptids. Mermaids. These are cryptid mermaids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I stand corrected. Um, we're all reading genre fiction on this December. I mean, 
time. Not that there's anything wrong with fantasy. Obviously, I'm about to wax rhapsodic at length about one of my very favorite fantasy books. So, mm-hmm. And that's a good segue into our actual topic. Um, we're talking today about mm-hmm. moments of character transcendence. Usually we start um, by telling you the topics we're going to be talking about, then doing a quick whip around of our books, and then going deeper into the topics, whatever we didn't cover. Today we are going to still begin with the topics under discussion, but we want to begin by defining what exactly we mean by moments of character transcendence. It's a bit of an ethereal topic that we came to sort of organically. Um, So that's where we're going to be starting the discussion proper. Before we do that, though, I'm just going to do a quick overview of the other topics we'll be discussing, uh, so you can have a sense of where we're going this episode. Um, We're going to be talking about where in the story do we think our characters achieve these moments of transcendence, what do these moments say about the character, Um, and we're also going to be looking at, like, this is often coded as a heroic moment of character transcendence, but it can equally be coded as a moment of villainous uh, character transcendence. Um, so we're going to be looking at it through the lens of both hero and villain. Um, so that's where we're going. But before we get there, what do we mean by moments of character transcendence? Uh, Martha, I think you've got some ideas of what you were thinking uh, when you assigned this. I had actually, if she's comfortable with it, I'd actually like to start with Caitlin because Caitlin, this is a, a topic that you introduced to us. So I would love to know. Uh, what was in your mind um, when you first thought of this as a topic you wanted to talk about? Like, what about it uh, you found interesting and kind of why you wanted to explore it? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so something that has always interested me when I watch TV shows, when I watch movies, when I read books, are those moments of... Uh, triumph or when we have a certain amount of clarity about oh this is who the character is and this is why we are uh, telling their story or this is why we are uh, reading their story or consuming their story in some way Um, so uh, kind of a simpler way to to think about it is uh, you know when you look at a character in a movie and you say oh that is why they're the hero. You know, uh, the the reason why you would want to dress up as them for Halloween. You know, hmm. the, the moment <laughs> that you point to where you're like, yeah, that person is so cool. And, um, you know, you leave the theater remembering that moment and playing it over in your head. And uh, so it really interests me why or what makes us think that about a character in a story. Yeah, you, you kind of, before we settled on character transcendence, you were kind of describing it as, like, the badass moment, where, where like, right. finally the person sort of, like, it's that iconic shot in the movie or the show where it's, like, you stand up and cheer. Right. Um, so, like, for example, in uh, Wonder Woman, I think... The one Wonder Woman had a great moment like this uh, in the movie where she's, uh, you know, gone up over the trench at the end of the movie, and she is blocking all the bullets with her, uh, what are they, gauntlets or wrist wrist guards, 
and um, just marching across the line, through marching across no man's land, and uh, you know, you've got the wind blowing in her back, and she just looks so powerful and so ready to kick ass. And yeah, if if we had a sign that, that, that now, would be... I have that. I have that moment stuck in my head, you know? Yeah, if, if that would be, like, a great canonical example, I think, of what we're talking about here. Exactly. Yeah, when she... it For me, for, for that one, it starts when she says, like, after uh, Steve has told her, like, this is not what we're here to do, and she says, no, it's exactly what I'm here to do. Like, that moment you understand, oh, this is what she's about. This is what... um, Like, this is what makes her... Wonder Woman, and then you get the the follow up action of her marching across that battlefield. It's, um, I've been referring to it as like the moment that a characterization crystallizes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and me as a reader, and it may it may be the moment for the character when they also realize like, oh, this is what I'm about. Um. But definitely for the the reader or the audience member, I I agree with you, Caitlin. I think it's that moment when we that we can point to and say, this is what it means. Like this is what this character stands for. This is what this character means. Um, this is what makes this character a hero, uh, or the hero in this story. And and that being said, I think it's important to note that that's not always the stand up and cheer moment. Like. Good in in good storytelling, it usually is, um, like those two things often converge. Um, but one one reason I picked my homework, which we'll get into soon, was thinking about like uh, how how female like how women are coded as badasses versus men, and thinking about River and her arc, and sort of her standout moment at the end of Serenity, which again we'll get to shortly, kind of doesn't quite fit the other parts of her like it like it's sort of the the cool moment for her but it's not necessarily the character crystallizing moment for her um i i'm i'm interested to get into serenity when we do because i i think that we're gonna actually have some disagreement on at what point like what is her kind of defining moment in that movie right right um so another thing i think is very interesting too when when i was going through the the homework thinking about this is that there's never I don't think that there's in good storytelling at least I don't think there's one character defining moment mm-hmm. rather especially with protagonists you get several moments of you know you're shown this is who this character is mm-hmm. and this is why they are here and then usually towards the end they have their big moment of triumph where they're standing over a pile of dead bodies or something less graphic but also awesome and um, you understand more about the character kind of in increments as opposed to all at once at the end of end of the show yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of like the, the crystallizing character moment versus the triumphal success moment um, well, let's. I I feel pretty confident then having a good shared sense of what we mean by moments of character transcendence. Um, so let's get into our homeworks proper. Um, Martha, we'll start with you. Sure. 
Uh, so I assigned the book The We Free Men by Terry Pratchett. Uh, this book was written on a date that will reveal itself to me as soon as Goodreads finishes loading. Uh, it is the first book of the Tiffany Aching story arc within it is a Discworld novel. Um and the it the main character of these books is a girl named Tiffany Aching. Uh it was written in two thousand three. Uh and Tiffany is she's so she is nine in the We Free Men and over the course of her series, I think she ends at like seventeen or eighteen. Uh so she goes through a whole lot of growth that starts with this novel. Uh, and in this book, she is the daughter of a family that herds sheep. Uh, she is the seventh child of a of a group of eight. Um, and her little brother is stolen by uh, what is essentially a fairy queen. Uh, there's a, you know, some debate in the in the Discworld books over like what a fairy is, what an elf is. But um her brother is stolen by a woman who styles herself as a fairy queen and she goes to get him back. And she does that with the assistance of a fleet of six inch tall, foul mouthed, uh, sort of vaguely Scottish type uh, pixies who are, you know, just as uh, just as cool uh, fighting and killing something as they are like drinking with it. Um in the we have we have spoken before about the Discworld books. It's no secret that I'm a fan of them. Uh, Tiffany, I think, is my favorite character within these books. More than uh, Sam Vimes. So, so this is how I usually put it: Sam Vimes is who I aspire to be. Tiffany is who I identify with. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the really lovely things about her books is that she grows up from this like nine-year-old girl who you know, is very sensible, very logical, but doesn't always know what to do with all of her, like, capability. And even within this first book, we see her uh, kind of channel all of these skills and smarts that she has that she's never really had an outlet for into something that is not only useful for her, but also, like, I mean, she saves her brother, so she is... uh, you know, becoming this sort of heroic figure uh, within her family, um, and also eventually within the wider the wider wider world. But at least for this book, it's it's very focused on saving her family, bringing her family back together. Mm-hmm. Pete, I know that you had not read this one before. Yes, I don't this think. this was one of the few Discworlds that I haven't read. Um, I kind of. I read the first couple witches books and then never finished them, and I never even started Tiffany Aching's um, stuff. It's it's Discworld. It's Terry Pratchett. How can you not like it? Um, I absolutely loved it. The Knack McFeagle, who are the the Pixies, are amazing. In in classic Pratchett way, lessons are learned both for the characters and for the reader. It's delightful. It's clever. It's well known how much we on this podcast love the Discworld books, uh, and this follows that tradition perfectly. Caitlin, had you read this one before? I have. Um, I read it back in junior high, so it's been a minute. Uh, so I definitely had to... It was definitely a good reintroduction, because I didn't remember most of the plot itself. But after all of that time, I definitely remembered the Knack McFeagle. 
Um, <laughs> They're hard yes. to forget. It, this is a very fun book to read from that from that regard. Um, I think it was it was great reading this now old now that I'm, you know, an adult and older, because I think I picked up a lot more of Pratchett's plays on words and all of the fun little quirky stuff that he does in his writing that I think might have just gone over my head when I was 12 or 13 years old. We were talking earlier, he's very, Pratchett's very much like Monty Python, where younger children, or not young children, but like, you know, preteens, can get a, like, can enjoy it because it's silly and fun, and then adults can enjoy it because there's some clever wordplay going on, there's sort of like deeper references and jokes and allusions being made. Um, so, it's really delightful. It- so the, the the thrust of Tiffany's story is that she eventually goes on to train to become a witch. And witches in uh, the Discworld novels are very, they're very much kind of the protectors of the world. Um, they're the, they're the people that um, as, as put in this book, they are the people that stand up and speak for those who have no voice. Uh, so I think a lot of Tiffany's character growth is kind of driven by that idea that she is going to become one of the people who uh, is dedicated to protecting those that need protecting, to standing up against uh, sort of the invading evils or natural evils of the world. There's a quite a good there are several good scenes about her grandmother standing up for the people of their town against the Baron who is occasionally unfair or, you know, too concerned about appearances or whatever. Uh, So I think a lot of Tiffany's story is kind of figuring out how she, or she is figuring out how to be that protective force. Um, even when it doesn't always make like logical sense to her, logic is very important to Tiffany. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm curious when you thought when both of you thought her her moment of transcendence happened, her crystallizing moment, because there were a few points where I I feel like it would be a reasonable point where you could argue that that would be when it happened. I will tell you, I think it is. Um... I have a couple of things bookmarked, but really I think that her her absolute moment where you discover, like where you realize, okay, this is what she is all about. How do I work the... Yes. Okay. So this is the, this is what is going on in Tiffany's head. This is during her confrontation with the queen. And the queen is basically trying to talk her into feeling worthless and helpless and all of that. And Tiffany's thoughts are going, I'm just going to read it because it's going to, it's going to be better. It's going to make more sense if I just read Terry Pratchett's actual words. Um, All witches are selfish, the queen had said, but Tiffany's third thought said, then turn selfishness into a weapon. Make all things yours, make other lives and dreams and hopes yours. Protect them, save them, bring them into the sheepfold, walk the gale for them, keep away the wolf. My dreams, my brother, my family, my land, my world. How dare you try to take these things because they are mine and I have a duty. 
that is the moment when I think she realizes that all of the things that she's been feeling, all of the conflict she's been feeling about like, oh, saving her brother. And does she really love her brother? Because, you know, she's been thinking about how annoying he is and all of these things that the queen is trying to make her think about like, oh, you're just selfish. You just think about yourself. All of this kind of turns into this whirlwind of, yes, I am selfish, but that's my strength because I can protect what's mine. Sorry, I got very worked up there. (laughs) (laughs) No apologies. No, Um, I absolutely agree with you, Martha. I think that that was, for me, I think also her her biggest shining moment there was the culmination of all of her, you know, nine-year-old thoughts where she's this very clever, very intelligent girl who obviously had this very close relationship with her grandmother and is starting to understand her sense of responsibility and also the difference between loving something because you have to and actually truly feeling protective of something and understanding that sense of home and Mm -hmm. feeling, you know, okay, so this is my brother. He annoys me endlessly and I might not necessarily like him, but at the end of the day, he's still my brother and I still care about him and I'm going to protect him. It's this idea of like, I get to insult my family, but don't you dare insult my family. Yes, definitely. Um, it's also a nice culmination of her struggle sort of throughout the book where she, you know, as Caitlin was kind of saying, she's constantly struggling with the fact that she kind of doesn't like her brother because he's, you know, annoying, spoiled, an absolute brat, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of like, why do you care? You don't like him. Let him be kidnapped. It's fine. Um, and she's nine years old too. She doesn't have the maturity to understand yet that it's okay to not like your brother and to be annoyed by him day to day. Right. But yeah, that... understand that he's still family. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and she'd been, like, throughout the book had been like, yeah, I know he's annoying and I don't like him and maybe I don't love him and I feel guilty about that, but he's my brother. Um, and the passage you just read, Martha, I'm glad you had that bookmarked because that was kind of the culmination of, like, right, he's my brother, it's my land, it's my family... Um, that's what I'm protecting. It doesn't matter if I like them or not, it's mine. Well, and because Tiffany is only nine years old in this book, I think that her, like, she is still figuring out who she is. So it's definitely, like, a process of kind of pinpointing her character, and that will change, well, not change, but that will evolve over the the course of her uh, book series. But I think that's the moment that we get where it's like, this is what she and by extension the witches in the the Discworld universe this is what they really stand for the sense of like well yes I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to take ownership of like my land and my people but I'm going to do it because what I have ownership of I can protect and defend Mm -hmm. taking ownership is a good way to put it because like selfish is coded so negatively but taking ownership is coded very positively like just in the way we talk um Mm -hmm. i think that's that's sort of a really good way to put how the witches think about their selfishness um caitlin let's talk about your homework yes okay i assigned uh two episodes of winona erp i assigned Uh, Episode 2, Season 1, which is called something. 
Scratch that, reverse it, I think, right? Season one, episode two? Season one, episode two, yes. Good. Otherwise, I watched <laughs> the wrong thing. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yes, so season one, episode two, and we also then watched season two, episode 12, which is the most recently aired episode. And um, Winona Earp is a... I like to think of it as a mix between a Western and a Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of show. It's based on a uh, comic that is still being published, uh, based on the great-granddaughter of Wyatt Earp, legendary gunslinger extraordinaire, uh, and her name is Winona, and she has this mandate, uh, family curse, where she has to kill all of the demons who are the resurrected souls of everyone that Wyatt Earp has killed in his career. And it is uh, silly, it is intelligent, and it is a whole lot of fun to watch, I think. It Um, filled the supernatural-shaped hole in my heart when I had to stop watching that show. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you referenced well, it as Buffy because as I was watching it I was like this feels a lot like Buffy in good ways right it's it's kind of um, it doesn't take itself too seriously and it's it's very witty and it's uh, very much uh, cognizant I think of the real world that is watching it um, Winona Earp is kind of one of those uh, seems at first to be one of those anti-hero kind of moody girl char- characters that you know, doesn't doesn't let anyone push her around and doesn't have a boss and you know just wants to shoot a cool gun and kill demons and be a badass. But um, there's just so much complexity to her character as well as her uh, that of her sister and her sister. Um, her relationship with her sister Sorry. is. <laughs> I love Waverly so much. Her relationship with her sister, I think, is one of the best, uh, you know, sibling relationships I have seen on TV or movies or anywhere in a very long time. Having and... seen only these two episodes, I thought that it it was phenomenal for its various female relationships. Um, yes, both sibling yes. and just friendship relationships. And and romantic. Uh, yes, and Waverly, I think, has one of my favorite entrances ever um if pete i won't spoil it for you but just watch the first episode please (laughs) it's fantastic let's give a let's give a real fast summary of what happens in these two episodes so season one episode two opens with a very i think this is one of the very early you know moments that we really get to see uh Winona Earp as a character and who she is and uh, certainly her interactions with uh, dolls played by Shemi Anderson um, Melly uh, I'm sorry I don't know how to say her last name this is going to be bad but uh, Melanie Scrofano Scrofano um, I, yeah I, I believe it's Scrofano Scrofano um, is very very good at giving the uh, sarcastic one-liners, uh, which are probably not appropriate to repeat here, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> it, but it earns that TV 14 rating. Yes, 100%. But they begin uh, with 
sort of Winona's first mission as a black badge agent. They're sitting in the Jeep outside of a nightclub, and there's Revenant in there. And uh, Dallas says, okay, I'm going to have you go in there alone. Uh, you're going to get this guy, and don't draw attention to yourself. Of course, Winona says something snarky reply, and goes in, um, sees the Revenant right, right away, and rather than keeping a low profile, uh, she yells uh, one of the most iconic lines, I think, in the show right now, uh, crazy chick with a gun, and starts firing rounds into the air. And, of course, everyone goes crazy. She ends up losing the Revenant, uh, but creating a whole lot of paperwork for herself when she goes back to the police station. And... Uh, you get a good indication of the kind of police officer slash special agent that Winona is going to be. What uh, I like about that crazy chick with a gun line is that that could be the moment where it's like, oh, this is what she's about. And it's not really <laughs> like it gives it doesn't I, th- I think it doesn't give her enough credit but it also tells you kind of what she thinks about herself mm-hmm. at least in this moment or at least what she's willing to kind of be to other people if that makes sense yeah I think this is this is Winona not being vulnerable this is Winona not being honest with who she is as a as a character yet um, I think you know she comes in and she kind of understands that she has this responsibility but it's a responsibility that's kind of been thrust upon her she doesn't really have a choice she is the heir because she was born an erp and because she's 27 and because she's the oldest and um i think it's a very good indication of you know who she pretends to be in this this wall that she puts up and this mask that she puts on um, but then as uh, the episode continues and we start to see her more personal relationships with Waverly, um, especially, and then, of course, as we go to the, the season two final episode, we really see a lot more of her vulnerability and her complexity as a character. It was uh, kind of happily astonishing to me jumping from, like, basically the beginning of the show to the end of the show thus far, how well they had treated, like, the characters, it seemed, um, in the sense that they're clearly the same character, but they're also much more, like, Winona especially, um, and Waverly, much more vulnerable, much more open, um, in a way that, that felt lived in, you know? Yes. And I think one of the cool things about this show, other than, you know, killing revenants and, uh, shooting big guns and doing a lot of magic, is the honesty of the relationships between all of the characters and especially the female characters and and so in the the final episode she's killing some witches uh and giving birth to her um, it's a son right daughter daughter okay uh great that's kind of important thing (laughs) um (laughs) so you know dealing with that where where do you think the the crystallization moment happened? Do you think that there was one 
in each episode or because Martha, you were sort of saying that that the, the first episode, Crazy Chick with a Gun, could have been that moment, but wasn't. Um, I guess, Caitlin, when, when you were assigning this, were you thinking of it in individual episode terms or sort of like in the, the long arc? Um, or I both? Was a little bit of both, I think, uh, because I think the, the interesting thing for me about Winona is that uh, she has many moments of uh, where she reveals who she is um, to us that are you know, sometimes the big glamorous you know action shot moments where she's staring down the barrel of a gun and uh, you know giving some clever line to a revenant before she shoots him between the eyes and then also there's these moments where you know she's saying goodbye to her daughter and telling her daughter that you know she's the coolest thing that she ever did um, I don't remember the exact line but um, I think that for me the the reason why I chose these two episodes is episode uh, two of season one is a great introduction to the cast and to Winona uh, as far as who she is as a character I think it's very indicative of what it is that you're watching um Mm -hmm. you know you get you get a crazy chick with a gun you get uh clever puns about sex and uh you get some great scenes with uh her protecting her sister and showing that you know she will absolutely go to the end of ends of the earth to protect her sister and you know I I don't care if I get one Revenant or all 77. uh, You will not touch Waverly under any circumstances. Um, And then in the final episode of season two, I think is where you get to see the big, um, like, you know, going up over the trenches and marching through no man's land kind of moment Mm -hmm. where um, she... And uh, it's like the very—it's not the last se- not the last scene of season two, but she's um... well for for me that that over the the top of the trenches moment in in the end of um, or in in the last episode was where she and Doc Holiday like kill the two witches by shooting at each other and splitting a bullet in half. Uh, which was like, that was a phenomenal scene. It, crazy, insane, super over the top, but like, I watched that and sort of was like, woohoo! Um, that's it's also what I was going for. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, yeah, it's also a really cool moment because... Um, and I don't know. I don't know if this is me reading too far into that. If it was just intended to be a like, look how awesome this is. Um, but because it takes two of them to do it, and family is so important to like as a theme to the show, and also just to the characters. It's like this is something that we had to do together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also why I liked the plot twist of Winona getting pregnant in the first place. Like normally. Um, Surprise pregnancies annoy me <laughs> in shows. 
uh, because they tend to not do great things for the the women who get pregnant. Um, but for Winona, it felt like a very much it felt very much like a continuation on this theme of, you know, how fiercely she defends her family and how much being a part of her family is important to her. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think we, and we get a very good indication of this right away. I think that Winona is a very lonely person and she kind of mm-hmm. through her own uh, actions as well as kind of circumstances around her very much isolates herself uh, as a young adult and to come back to purgatory and to essentially re-meet her family and create a new family around her of dolls and of doc holiday and uh nicole hot and jeremy um you really get to see her develop as a person as a character and i thought it was so cool that they they actually worked the actress's pregnancy into the show instead of just writing her off yeah i was wondering which way or that weirdly went. trying to trying to hide it with a like weird laundry basket or potted plant. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, moving on to the final homework, I assigned Serenity, the 2005 sci-fi movie, which was the culmination and end of the dead-before-its-time, cancelled-before-its-time uh, Fox TV show Firefly. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a pretty good chance that you are a fan of Firefly and Serenity, Um, the plot of Serenity roughly is, um, ragtag group of people aboard the ship Serenity, led by their captain, Malcolm Reynolds. Um, included on their ragtag team is a psychic girl who was, um, basically brainwashed and kind of tortured by the Alliance, um, the multi-system-spanning government body. Uh, where she learns some things she shouldn't because of um, her psychic powers. Its uh, adventures ensue. They are pursued by an operative of the Alliance who is trying to kill River, the psychic girl. Uh, But they eventually stumble on the secret of the Alliance, which is that they um, massacred an entire planet, trying to terraform the population into being more compliant and subservient. Um... This kicks, and and in the process created one of the most feared forces in the in the whole verse, which are Reavers. Um, Reavers were introduced in the show as terrifying people who went crazy at the edge of space, and now they will uh, rape you to death, eat you, and sew your clo- your skin into flesh. And if you're very very lucky, do it in that order. Um, now it's in skin this into movie. Clothing. Yes, there we go. Um, now it's basically. It's not just people who saw the edge of space and went crazy. It's the the alliance actually accidentally made them. Um, I assume you guys have seen Serenity probably more than a few times. <laughs> actually, this is my first time seeing Serenity. Really? Had you seen Firefly? I, no, I uh, Firefly has always been one of those shows that I have been meaning to watch and have not yet. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I went into Serenity kind of cold turkey with general idea of what it was, but certainly no prior knowledge of the story or of the characters. How how did that scan with you then? Like, did you feel like the movie was complete in and of itself? 
Or where you feel I like feel... you were sort of missing something that you didn't have, like, you know, the the backstory of everyone. Yeah, I, I felt that it was certainly a complete story in itself, um, but that I was also kind of the new kid in class, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, where I knew that there was a lot of history behind these characters, and I knew that there was a lot that I should be familiar with that uh, may have been over like I might have missed a few things in the movie just because I hadn't seen the show sure. uh, but overall I think as a standalone movie it was very enjoyable and I really I really enjoyed watching it um, I think it was uh, I was glad to finally get that crossed off my list <laughs> <laughs> well now you can go back and watch it's only like 12 episodes of Firefly so you can go back and watch those um, yes Martha Sounds like we're going to have a good discussion about the crystallizing Well, moment. I was going to say, the uh, <laughs> Serenity is about how the Alliance is terrible and created Reavers, but it's also about the formation of River as a character. I mean, I think that her her character development is just as much of the plot of the movie as it is finding out all of this backstory about, you know, what the Alliance has done. Mm-hmm. Um, because she starts the movie as just like the crazy psychic person, but by the end she is a person again. Like she well, has... and it's also about it's about the experiments that they did to her and how she escaped with the help of her brother, and her recovery and all of the things that are like buried in her brain. Um, I also think that this is a good example of her sort of crystallizing character moment and her ultimate badass moment being different. Mm -hmm. Because I think the point at which we learn who she is as a character is not the end after she has like slaughtered a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of reader verse. And we get that sort of iconic shot of her holding the dripping machetes <laughs> in silhouette, like over the, the dead bodies of all of these horrible monsters. And that's definitely the stand up and cheer moment. It is, but I think that her moment of character crystallization is actually the flashback of her in school when she is talking back to the teacher about, um, you know, she's being taught, like, all of the good things that the Alliance brought to the, to the galaxy and how order is uh, beneficial to everybody. And she, like, this 12 or however old girl is like, you know, we tell them what to think, we tell them what to do, we tell them what to wear, and then we get mad when they, like, don't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and that that moment of showing that, like, she's growing up in this very wealthy, privileged uh, environment, but is still very cognizant and empathetic to uh, the circumstances of people um, who live in different... Like, the circumstances of people who could be seen as being less, well, are less privileged, but could be seen as being, like, lesser to these, like, wealthy alliance uh, planets. And also that she's that willing to stand up to an adult authority and tell mm -hmm. her, like, exactly, like, this is why you're wrong. Um, I think that sort of spirit of rebelliousness informs a lot of who River is. Um, yes. Particularly in the film when she is sort of more together than she is during the course of the show. 
And and similarly, speaking of spirit of rebelliousness, um, Mel has his own sort of crystallizing moment, I think, where he's always opposed to the alliance because he's he was on the losing side of a civil war. Um, so he's always, you know, deeply opposed to the alliance, but sort of in a more passive way. When he actually, when, when they end up on the planet and discover what the alliance did, that to me was sort of like his crystallizing moment where he's no longer just willing to be a a smuggler rogue sticking it to the alliance when he can now he's sort of actively looking to do whatever it takes to bring them down um or at least to expose them for what they are um well and i think i think that's a good that's a good example of when a character realizes what kind of character they are rather mm -hmm. than the audience realizing because like that's the moment when mal figures it out for himself right my last real fast thought about Serenity is that um, I think that I think River's moment of character crystallization can come for her when she's a child because who she is as a character gets so scrambled by what the Alliance did to her brain that a lot of it is about her like rediscovering who she is. So, you know, we get to go back to the last time that she, to the last moment that she really knew who she was and use that as our reference point um, as she's kind of sorting through uh, all of the mental and character damage that has been done to her. And plus she's only 18 or 19 in the first place. So when we say she's a child, that was only six years ago. Um, right. So yeah, it's not like it's, it's a deep well to draw from there. Um, right. Well, so, so real quick, we've, I think we've talked a lot about like when the crystallizing moments happen for our heroes and what they say about the characters. Um, we haven't yet sort of explored villains. So I think that unless you guys that want to talk any more about it. I was going to say that may be, that may be a topic for a, like an extended blog post. I don't know that I want to leave our homework on a villainous angle. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know that I want to, put aside our homework in favor of starting what could potentially be an entirely new discussion. I put the villain point on our show notes um, because we in general chose very heroic um, characters. And I think that it's also the moment or this, this moment of character crystallization can also apply to when people realize like, Oh, I'm actually the villain of the story. I don't want to spend all that much time talking about that right now. Yep. And that's fair. Also, that would be a great supplemental to tie into last Jedi, which we're not going to do right now because it's very fresh. Uh, True. We don't want to spoil uh, it. Mostly. I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about like what we think these moments do for the story. I think we, we have, examined in detail what they do for the characters but in terms of like theme or the the stories that these that we that we looked at do we think that these moments of character transcendence are important not just to the character but to the broader story uh that is being told well, for for serenity going back to firefly even it's always been the show of like the lo the lovable losers who lost the civil war and now have to deal with the fact that the overbearing alliance is in control. Um, so freedom lost, government won, whatever, however you want to code it. Um, 
And so this sort of, I, I think these crystallizing moments, as you were saying, Martha, are sort of those moments of like, what what does that freedom look like? Or conversely, what does that control look like? Um, and what is the impact on people? So I think it's it's tying into that larger theme of, you know, Western frontier freedom versus control, which is good because it pacifies, but it's bad because it has unintended consequences and people don't necessarily want to be pacified in some cases. Yeah, I think what I was doing there was asking a leading question so that I could say that I think <laughs> that these moments of character crystallization or transcendence, however you want to think about them, are also a way of kind of identifying what the theme of a story is. So like we talked about for Winona Earp, um, family and protecting her family being really important. And that's the moment that we, like that is not only the moment of crystallization for her character, but also for the story. So I, I think that often that moment does double duty by not only showing us what the character is about, but also revealing the story that the author is trying to tell. Well, and so how does that uh, work with... Um... Uh, we Free Men. Um, because I think that Tiffany's story is, well, it's one of figuring out who she is, which is, you know, the story of every preteen YA yeah. protagonist ever. Um, but it's it's another story about family, I think. And it's also a story about valuing where you come from and about how where you come from and your family history can inform who you are without making you beholden to that because a lot of tiffany's struggles are the fact that she is sort of like she doesn't really fit into her family she's a little bit too smart she's a little bit too ambitious um well not and not just fitting into her family but fitting into her entire town society but her story i think does not become one of escaping that but rather becoming a, a new part of that puzzle, like figuring out how she does fit in rather than leaving to find a place where she could fit in, which could have been the other way to tell that story. Like, I don't fit in where I come from, so I have to find the place where I do fit in. Mm-hmm. For Tiffany, it's her home. Like, the chalk and her family and the sheep farming and all of that, like, she doesn't really fit in but it's part of who she is. So her story becomes one of figuring out how she, or it's not that she doesn't fit in. It's that she doesn't know how she fits in yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I thought it was really interesting reading over this book again, seeing how the, um, seeing how Pratchett used flashback and Tiffany telling stories kind of to herself, remembering, uh, Either, uh, you know, times that she was uh, with her grandmother um, or, you know, when her grandmother was trying to be grandmotherly and didn't really know how to be a grandmother and was very uncomfortable doing it. But whenever Tiffany would go and help her work on the sheep, you know, she was very comfortable as a shepherd. And uh, that's where she really saw her, her grandmother's power and saw how her grandmother fit into the society. And... Um, she kind of saw how her grandmother was very much a leader and a powerful influence on the village and on the uh, leadership of the 
chalk uh, village area, town. Um, she kind of pushes the Baron around a little bit, and I think through the use of those flashbacks and those stories, Tiffany uh, also comes to realize, you know, okay, so I don't fit in necessarily perfectly, but that doesn't mean that I don't still have an important role to play here. Mm-hmm. And and those flashbacks are something that Pratchett doesn't use in his other books, I don't think. So it's structurally, it's it's different as well. Right. And that's all the time we've got for this week. Um, Caitlin, if people want, if you want people to find you on the internet, do you want them to? And if so, where? Um. Well, I don't do Twitter, and I don't do Instagram. What? So it sounds so like I no. <laughs> I know. I'm a very bad millennial, you guys. Um, I, I cling to my avo- avocado toast quite tenaciously um, because I do not have an Instagram or a Twitter account. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not sure if I have a, a social media account that is very public. Cool. That's totally fine. Uh, Martha, where can people find you? Well, I am a social media addict, so <laughs> our listeners can and our listeners can and are encouraged to follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Magical Martha. And you can find me on Twitter at Pico three thousand. You can find the show on Twitter at dydyh podcast. You can find us at our website homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Did you do your homework? Um, and you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Since you're listening to this podcast, I bet you know where to find it, but you can get it anywhere fine podcasts are found. Please rate and review the show. That's how the algorithm elves uh, determine uh, where we show up when people are looking for suggestions on iTunes and elsewhere. Uh, Next couple episodes are going to be a little bit different. Um, We'll have a very short episode up next time uh, because of the holidays. So your homework for that is to enjoy the time with your family, friends, and have a great new year and any other holiday that you might be celebrating. Our following episode, January 17th, is our one-year anniversary. Yay! Yay! Uh, And to celebrate that, we are bringing back Kaylee our original third co-host. So we're not exactly sure what we'll be talking about or what the homework is. Take a look for the uh, on the website and on the Twitter for more information about that when it's decided. Uh, but we're having a one-year anniversary reunion show. Um, that's January 17th. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, I yeah, it was super fun to have you on here. Um, and with that, we'll talk I think that's to you. A... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that's class us... dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> next time you hear us is in 2018. Class dismissed. <laughs>